this shift of mindset from being a practice owner to being a business owner. And I think what we saw is those people that had worked in industry came with a blank sheet of paper rather than doing what accountants have been doing for the best part of 500 years and nothing's really changed and we do things because that's the way we've always done it so you need that blank sheet of paper so you've either got to be really bold that you're prepared to say I'm going to chuck everything I've ever learned in the bin and I'm going to start again with a blank sheet of paper or you've got to come in without knowing what the norm is you're listening to the bookkeepers podcast sponsored by go proposal by sage I've been a student of value pricing for many years now. Understanding pricing has helped me to transform our firm's results and build a firm that can run without me. A key tool we use for pricing in our firm is GoProposal. It allows us to build the price in person with the prospect and send out a proposal and engagement letter immediately, which has saved us hours from how we used to do it before. Not only that, but being able to create a standardized pricing system within the software means everyone on my team can use it freeing me up from being the bottleneck. If you're not using it already, I highly recommend you check it out. Just head to goproposal.com forward slash sign up for your free trial. Now over to the latest episode of the Bookkeepers podcast. Hi and welcome to the Bookkeepers podcast. I'm Zoe Whitman. I'm here with Joe Wood and we are joined by Will Farnell today. Hi Will, how are you? Very good. Morning. Nice to see you both. Lovely to see you. We're really excited to talk to you about your new book, The Human Firm. I know Jo's already seen her copy. Jo? I'm so excited. I've already got it (laughs) in my hands. Um, I've had a little dip in and been looking around and I'm loving the look of it. It's very, um, lots of nice imagery as well and like chunky like sections. I like a book like there where it breaks things down. So yeah, can't wait to get into it. Excellent. Can't wait to hear what you think. Yeah, absolutely can't wait. And today's a big day because we know today's the day that it is available to buy. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well today. Um, Will, do you want to start, though, by telling us a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. And so for those that that haven't heard me speak or seen me at events, uh, I'm Will Farnell. I set my firm up uh, in 2007. So Farnell Clark, we're based in uh, in Norfolk. And uh, I talk in the book a lot about what I call the power of purpose. And I had a very clear purpose when I set my firm up. I I fundamentally thought that professional services were broken, clients didn't get the support they needed. So I had this grandiose idea that I could change the world and change the way professional services were delivered. And perhaps more importantly, the way that people that used those services perceived them, because I think it was a perception issue too. Um, And I had uh, I had the benefit of not having trained in practice. So I had no preconceptions about how to run an accounting or bookkeeping firm. So I put myself in the shoes of the client and I said, if I'm a client and I'm buying these services, what's important to me? And there's a whole bunch of stuff we did, but fundamentally it was technology. Um, and and I, I looked around and the internet was kind of a bit of a thing in 2007. And I thought there's got to be a better way because if we're really lucky, we get computerized data that that's kind of locked on a computer in a dark corner of an office that only one person's got the key for. And surely the internet's given us this opportunity to have access to client data. And I spent about 18 months looking for what I thought should exist. And, and I eventually stumbled across Cashflow uh, back in 2008. Um, we partnered with Cashflow by the end of 2000 or middle of 2009, we were their largest partner firm, uh, which wasn't overly difficult in 2009. But by the end of 2009, every client we've got used Cashflow. 
Um, so I think it made us the first 100% cloud-based practice globally uh, back in 2009. Nobody's ever challenged me on that yet. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep using it and keep saying it. Um, but we did even even then we we had access to clients' data, but we still keyed data. We still had to to kind of get data from from clients, and we stumbled across for Seat Bank in 2010. I didn't get it at first, um, but 2011 the penny dropped because they had the app, and I thought, hang on a second, so we can get people to photo receipts, and that ends up with us, and we can process it. And like, wow, this is like a, a, that moment where you can look at it and say, we can change the whole model here. We can do something completely different. So that's what we did. Um, uh, we, we started to work quite differently. We partnered with Go Cardless in 2012. So we were one of their first partners. So tech's played a really big part of our business. And we've grown our business on average about 30% every year for the best part of 15 years, which is, which is great, but it's kind of a painful process. Um, and we learned lots of lessons which many of which I included in the first book in 2018, I wrote The Digital Firm. Um, and things have changed since 2018. Lots haven't, hasn't changed, but lots, lots has. And, and I talk a lot about evolution, which you might get to talk about in terms of the way accountants and bookkeepers have, have been able to evolve the offer and the proposition. Um, and I think that what I'm calling the human firm is the next, the next evolution. Um, so that's kind of where we started and, and here we are 2023 and the human firm is about to hit the world I love this and do you know what there are so many people who will be watching this who will be really inspired by what you shared with us about joining going into practice having not had a practice background because yes. we speak to so many people who are like but I have I, you know I have these qualifications I've worked in the accountancy world for a long time but I haven't done it like this and to show that that isn't a barrier and that Definitely. you can go out and you can build a business is you know makes my heart sing so thank it, you for it's, it's not it's more than that though Zoe it's it's a huge opportunity and and certainly in the early days and, and when I talk about the early days when I started doing practice lunches with with people like the seat bank to help them get the message out to other accountants what was really interesting is all of the really early adopter firms about 80 percent of them all came from outside of practice so they were all from industry they'd all trained in practice and left and gone to industry and came back to practice and and i think that a big part of what i talk about in this book and, and i'm sure we're going to talk about today is this shift of mindset from being a practice owner to being a business owner and and i think what we saw is those people that had worked in industry came with a blank sheet of paper rather than doing what accountants have been doing for the best part of 500 years um and and nothing's really changed and we do things because that's the way we've always done it so you need that kind of blank sheet of paper so you've either got to be really bold that you're prepared to say I'm going to chuck everything I've ever learned in the bin and I'm going to start again with a blank sheet of paper or you've got to come in without knowing what the norm is mm, oh my goodness it's it's so important to talk about this and I I actually I I've got a feeling and I sometimes think that actually being in practice and learning those ways sometimes isn't great <laughs> to start I you know because I I've had I've had a mixed bag you know I started practice in practice but I literally spent the first 18 months not knowing what we did there 
Yeah. Like I had no idea yeah. what the point of the whole business was. Um, because I, I, you know, I, it, it, no one explained anything. No, exactly what we're talking about, like the human element. No one really talked about anything. Like there was no, yeah. there was no onboarding or anything. It was just sit there, do this. And it was like Sage Doss. And I just, I didn't really understand what. And we're I showing learned, our ages, aren't we, talking I know, about Doss? And- <laughs> I've never seen, I, it was 1998 and I'd never seen email before. And I sat there looking at this girl's screen like, what do you mean you just press that button and it gets sent to so I remember the moment so that's <laughs> a, but I didn't I that's what I learned by being in practice what email was like literally yeah. and and I th- and I was with me and Zoe were laughing the other day the reason that I was attracted to go into practice wasn't anything about accountancy was the big briefcases and having coffee with clients that's what I wanted I had no idea what we actually did I wanted to get rid of the big briefcases that, 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 that was it <laughs> that's, that's it, it. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And so, I mean, exactly that. Getting rid of the big briefcases is basically an, like an analogy of becoming digitized, becoming, you know, having a practice that moves from all of that paperwork, having those rooms that are full of clients' papers mm. and boxes and files and everything. And really, that's what we've been doing since the ter- early 2000s is yeah. on this journey over the last 20 years of trying to get digitized and and I think what you're talking about now is the fact that actually sometimes we have forgotten it's been so focused on this that we've forgotten the people that are really important and integral to these businesses that just happen to be accountancy and bookkeeping practices Hmm. so if these practices are focused so much so many years on becoming digitized how do bookkeepers and accountants like change their mindset to build businesses that are now relevant in this in this day and age, which is not the same as the early two thousands. Yeah, and and um, I, that that's absolutely spot on. And and I had a I, had a, I talked when I was uh, talking after I wrote the digital firm. I had what was effectively a linear evolution, um, and I talked about kind of when we first started with with technology and cash flow back in two thousand eight. We were badged online accountants, um, and it was a derogatory term. Um, so everybody thought we didn't care about clients. All we wanted to do is do it cheaply because it was in that time when when everyone saw Amazon as the cheap bookseller and it's online and, and it's all about light touch and everything else. But hopefully people have already picked up that it's the polar opposite. I wanted to get closer to clients. I wanted access to their data. And we kind of evolved into cloud accounting, which became kind of a term. Uh, and then I I said it's about the digital firm in 2018. Now we're talking about the human firm. But actually, as I was writing this book, I've realized that actually it's it's a circle. And all we've done is we've gone full circle. So if we go back 25 years, accountants and bookkeepers, great relationships with clients, uh, invites to the birthdays, the weddings, the funerals and everything else. And compliance came along. And the focus shifted. It went from how do we have great relationships? How do we keep clients out of jail um, by making sure that we file everything that they need to? So now the cycle goes, we started with a thing that was called relationship accounting, and then we had compliance accounting. And online accounting came along and started to give us opportunities to get time back. We did cloud accounting. We built an ecosystem that enabled us to work more effectively we use that capacity in the digital firm to rethink processes and think about the services that we can offer and start to deliver really good data to people. 
and then the playing field gets leveled because everybody's got access to the same tech. Everybody can go online and listen to me talk about the processes that we've adopted. So the only way that we as a firm can differentiate what we do is, is through the human bit. And that's both internally in terms of our team and what we deliver to clients and the way we think about what clients want and need, which takes us to the human firm. And actually, we're back to relationships again. But we have the benefit now that the technology gives us a data to have meaningful human relationships, whereas before we still didn't get the data until six months after the year end, whereas now we get the data every day. That, that fuels and, and inspires the conversations that we can that we can have with clients Ooh. with those relationships. Yeah. So you you've talked to us about how you've been able to grow your practice 30%-ish every year. And um and if we're on this level playing field where everyone has the same information and the same uh, the same access to the same tools so we can all do the same job in theory and actually it's really interesting to talk about you know being a bit people being a bit um what's the right word almost feeling a bit ashamed that you're an online business whereas now joe very openly is very proud to be virtual and like people love that because they just want someone who's virtual and they don't have to be in an office you know that it's that has definitely shifted and gone and turned around hasn't it yes. um but if you need to be investing people's time now into this process, how do you scale a practice while making sure that you have that real focus on the human element? Because I can see that there would be people maybe listening to this thinking, well, sounds great, but I haven't got capacity to do that. And does what does that do to my margins? And am I actually then able to compete with others? Yes. Um, and, and I love talking about scale. Um, so I've said many times, it's really easy to grow an accounting or bookkeeping firm. It's much harder to scale one. So if you have a if you have a really clear message and you communicate that message really, really effectively and you do a good job for clients, you will grow. There's no problem. No, no qualms about that. You will find clients and, and no problem there. The challenge is exactly what you've said, Zoe. How do you how do you put in place the processes to enable you to scale and continue to deliver the things that you've said in that really strong message? And that's a challenge. Um, and I talked to James Ashford about this and James came up with a really great illustration in the book, which which you might have seen on, on he posted on LinkedIn with the balloons. Um, and the balloon analogy works really well. So you, you have a firm and if you if you imagine the firm is a balloon um, and you can inflate the balloon um, and you can inflate the balloon so much, but eventually it's going to go pop. Um, and as a firm, We've we've been close in the past to going pop. Um, uh, it's all about how you recognize that risk and, and how you think about it. So in James's analogy, what he says is rather than inflate the balloons, you've got to add more balloons. So if if you rather than blow one balloon up really big, start adding extra balloons because then they'll safely lift you up and, and no problem. And if a balloon pops, it doesn't matter because there's plenty more that, that keep you going up. Um, so scale is really important. I talk a lot in the book about how we've scaled, particularly around structure. Um, but I've spoken to so many accounting firms and bookkeeping firms over the years that, that have gone through growth. And what's really interesting is that every firm I've spoken to that's gone through a period of growth has had problems at the same points. So it's eight people. It's 15 people, it's 23 people, it's 35 people, it's 50, it's 70, and I've been told it's 100. 
Um, so it, uh, there may be people that are listening that have got to eight people or whatever and will think, yeah, I did. I had loads of challenges at eight and uh, 15. And I think 23 was probably the worst. I think 23 was the, the, the worst point that, that we hit. And other people that I've talked to have said similar. So it's really weird that almost at those headcounts, stuff changes in terms of firm politics, firm culture, and you have to be really conscious of it. But we, we, we built our business around the concept of pod structures. So we operate in teams and we've, we've changed it a few times and we've gone back now to where we were a couple of years ago in terms of pods of four people. Um, and we know that that pod can deliver a particular level of revenue. Um, and we know that when they hit the revenue, they can't do any more. And it kind of doesn't matter how many clients are in that mix. It's all about the revenue and the cost base. And it's a really good model for scale because when the pod gets full, we create a new one and it creates opportunities for the team to, to step up into new roles in a new pod. So there's clear career progression for people as well. Um, but fundamentally, it's it's mindset. We talked about this before. It's it's about treating your your practice, your firm as a business and making decisions in a in a commercial way because the biggest challenge that that we had was in, in fees in 2015, I think was was our, our kind of the bottom of the uh, the pit that we found ourselves in. And we'd grown so quickly. <clears throat> we we hadn't put fees up for about eight years. Um, uh, service level had suffered. Um, people kept saying, I, I was working with a, with a chap that was giving me some advice and he kept saying, well, you've got to put fees up, got to put fees up. And I said, well, I can't put my fees up because the service isn't good enough and I can't afford to lose any clients. But the problem was we couldn't invest in the extra people we needed to improve the service. And I felt we couldn't put fees up to earn the revenue we needed to take on the extra stuff. Something has to give in, in that situation. Um, and we brought in James RMD at that point. We did a fee review. We, we, we increased fees on 600 clients in the space of 18 months. Um, and we lost six. Uh, we, we actually worked out that we could have lost a third of our client base if two thirds paid the right fee and we'd have earned the same money. So uh, astonishing. So scale, scale is there. It's, it's, it's not for everybody. I think that's the important thing. It's like, what do you want from your from your firm? What's important to you? Is it, do you want to grow? Is it having more time with the family? Is it wanting, to, wanting a lifestyle business? But if you decide that you do want to grow and scale, then it's got to be considered. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love this. Um, you mentioned culture and um, building, building a culture within your business. And um, one thing, there'll be lots of people watching this who you know are part of our community who are in their early days of building a practice maybe it's just them maybe it's them and one other person they have ambitions to grow but um they might be thinking well at the moment the culture is just my way of doing things and my values how yes. do you um you sort of talked about building with purpose so how do you start to build this culture and these lay these foundations so you can bring the right people in in the future when actually right now it's only you like how do you know yeah who to hire and and also this you know this issue with the talent shortage keeps coming up like that you yes. know people are saying all the time there's talent shortage so how do you fill those roles if if there is this talent shortage I just wonder what your take on it is yeah I mean culture's culture's critical and 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 what's more critical I think is is this idea of purpose and it's really funny because I had a very clear purpose and it was only probably two years ago 
that I started to kind of understand how much of a role that clarity of purpose pay, played in in the way that the firm evolved and and built but equally it was it was also around that time that we we lost control over getting the message of that purpose to to new members of the team as we as we grew so it was the light bulb moment but also the point where i realized well actually for the last 12 months we've not done this um and it means we've got people in the business that have perhaps lost or don't understand what what final clerk existed to do um so i think it's really important that you do that and and for us we very early on we were a team of about six people and we went through an exercise of of building out what we called our brand values and that was in that was getting the whole team involved in terms of look what's in what's important to us and when i work with 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 firms often firms will get me in because they think they want to talk about tech and they want to talk about process and without fail um without exception every time we we do a session we end up talking about purpose vision and values and pricing without without exception they're always where the problems are because people don't know what what it is they they do and typically accountants and bookkeepers are, are really good at what they do they're not marketeers they 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 will by their own admission say well i'm not very creative in thinking and uh, and so on but having somebody just facilitate because actually it's not it's not difficult it's like why do you do what you do what gets you out of bed in the morning what is it that you want to change and that's always going to be about really caring for clients it's what it's kind of built into our dna um so why do you do what you do Think about describing what you do and then think about how you do it. And if you if you can do that, if you can say, why why do I do what I do? What do I do and how do I do it? And you can explain that articulately to, to teams, clients. That's that message that I mentioned earlier in when grow, growth is easy if you've got a really clear message. So if you can answer those three questions, you've got the start of a really strong message about who you really are uh, as a firm. And then often people say, yeah, but I don't really know when we think about values. It's like, ask your best clients, ask your, your team to describe your firm in three words. It's a really good way to start thinking about values because you will, everyone will project something that's unique because it's them. It's, it's them as a human. It's their business. It's their values. It's their vision. Um, so asking your best clients and your team members to describe you in three words is a great way to really start thinking about what your values proposition might be. And uh, also then try and think about three things that make you unique and have a look at your website and do you talk about them? Because most firms don't. It's like everyone's got something that makes them different. Um, but we don't talk about it. We don't like to talk about the things that, that make us unique as individuals. No, no, we don't. We don't. And we, we um, for some reason, something holds us back from asking people, you know, mm. these questions. But actually, it's it's so insightful. So when you are, I'm, I'm recruiting at the moment. And um, um, I, I, and I know that there's been so much talk about talent shortage. Yeah. Um, do you recruit on values? Or do you recruit on abilities, skill set, qualifications? Or is it a a bit of both and I suppose you talk I'm, I'm fascinated and want to know so much more about this pod system because I am definitely at that 
crunch point yeah. at the like the nine. I'm at nine and things feel like yeah, it's going to implode. And we you're need, it. yeah. <laughs> it's um. I had a great conversation with James once, and I do keep thinking about this. Um, I said, and he said about butterflies that they have to melt down into goo to then, like caterpillars have to melt down into goo to then become a butterfly. So whenever I'm going through this, like, oh my goodness, I need to grow, but it feels like everything's going wrong. I'm yeah. just thinking I'm in my chrysalis and I'm just turning into goo for a couple of weeks and then I'm going to come out <laughs> and it's all going to, it's all going to be amazing. Um, so, so, and I am, as I say, we're recruiting and we're going through this next growth period. And so um, me, I'm very much on, you know, gut instinct, that's part, you know, I'm, I'm very much like, rather than what it says somebody can do or what their qualifications yeah. are, I need to have that interaction. And I suppose I'm a bit more on values rather yeah. than that, but I know it needs to be a bit both, but how do you do it? Or do you do it as a case of you've got these pods and you've got a section or a pod that you need to build? How do you go about doing that? I'm fascinated. So a few few questions in that. Firstly, I think with, with recruitment, the, the bit that I think most firms miss is they don't treat recruitment as a marketing activity. Um, and it's really, really important that we see it as marketing because it's it's no different to trying to find a client. So to get the right kind of client, you've got to understand your messaging. You've got to understand what your proposition is. You've got to understand what your USPs are. It's no different for recruitment. It's like people are making a choice. They can come to you or they can go to a competitor. So what are the things that make them want to come to you? So yes, it's culture. Yes, it's it's the what you offer. Um, but equally and, and, and more so now, I mean, like talking book about generational shifts and everything else, people are making decisions based on the values proposition of, of organizations and purpose is really powerful. Uh, and people care about this stuff now. Um, and if you get two businesses that are offering the same salary, the same, the same perks, the same working hours, uh, same distance to work, same car parking and everything else, what is it that's going to drive them to make one decision over another? It's going to be the soft stuff, the things that they say, well, I've got a really good feeling about that business or uh, I really like what they're, they're, they're doing for sustainability or whatever it might be. So we've got to treat it as a marketing activity. So that's the first bit. Um, we've always said that we recruit for personality because you can teach ability, you can't teach personality. Um, so cultural fit is is really important. And I think, again, one of the challenges that we've had in this last bit, which is the 70, we've just gone past 70 people in our team. And we've we've lost because I stepped away from interviews, James OMD stepped away from, from a lot of the interview process, that nobody was really getting the culture across. And that makes us question, did we miss out on people that didn't get a true flavor of our culture? Um, and actually also, did we recruit people that weren't a good fit because they they weren't able to make that decision? We've, we've, we've had interviews where James and I have sat in interviews years back where people have, have said, this isn't the firm for me because I like a formalized culture and, and everything else, which is absolutely fine. It would have been catastrophic if we'd have taken them on because they would have left. Um, so making sure that you get that through. But yes, I think we can we can teach professional ability. And because somebody's passed an exam doesn't doesn't mean that they know it all anyway. Um, anybody can put what they want on a on a CV. Um, how, how do we test it? So I think gut instinct is is absolutely right because it's just our 
unconscious mind kind of telling us the the answer um so i think going on that gut instinct is is really really important do you think if you market your firm properly um and tell people about your cultures and value there isn't such a thing as a talent shortage because people know that you're right for them i'd I'd love to be able to say that i i agree um i i think it is tough out there. Recruitment is really tough. Uh, I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for it, kind of stemming back to the, the the credit crunch in 2007 and lots of big firms cut their recruitment and everything else, which means if you think somebody starting in 2007 would be a well-experienced, seven-year post-qualified, good client manager, senior manager type level. So that's a, re- that's a real challenge. Um uh, I think that the market is competitive and that means that, that people are being lured. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, I think there is a challenge, but we can we can reduce our exposure to it by thinking through those things in terms of what what is our proposition? What is our offer? How can we offer something that's more compelling than another firm down the road? Because we are competing for that that talent. Um, and and I know there's lots of lots of people are using offshore resource and uh, and outsourcing, but we're already seeing competitive factors in those markets as well now with with prices going up, and and definitely a conversation for another day. But how much of that has contributed to the lack of of trained people in the UK mm-hmm. when? all of our resource pool came from people leaving school university coming in doing a training contract and and so on in in accounting firms if people are pushing work off offshore and uh, and everything else then kind of what impact is that having longer term but definitely a conversation for another day that one yeah and 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 like you like you say that you know you're thinking about the people that are coming into you know training now I know looking at the options, like I've got a 16 year old daughter, she's going off to college and she's going to do digital journalism and creative media. And she's going to be building websites and learning about branding. And I'm like, yeah, I would I pick that now over accountancy? Most probably. So there's there's different opportunities. So I think, like you say, the maybe from the 2007, but now new you know, youngsters coming in, are they going to be picking it? I don't know. It's a, there's so many options out there and the world's a different yeah. place to when I, I know 1998, when I saw a careers officer, it looked like an amazing, amazing idea because I was going to get a big bag. There's no, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So I think it's most probably both ends of the scale, you know, from the past and kids this, uh, these days. Um, so if you read your book and you start building a firm with that human element to it, how do you measure success? How do you know? Because like you said, you were able to give us very clear, like we were a hundred percent cloud and we were the only firm at this point in time doing this. And you can kind of measure how a digital firm is working and whether it's, you know, a successful digital firm, how do you measure the success of a human firm? Um, So I think uh, we, we, we have a small number of metrics that are, that are our top level um, things that we want to measure in, in our firm. The first is net promoter score. Um, so MPS measuring what do our clients think, but equally, what do our team think? Um, and, and that's it, because actually, I think you can you can go too deep into trying to, to measure 
stuff. But if you've got delighted clients, you've got staff that are happy and you're making a profit that's at a level that you're happy with, then all's good. And like it, 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 everything else can look after itself. So delighted clients, really happy staff that feel valued um, and you're making the, the the kind of the profit contribution that, that is important, uh, then you're doing it. That That's it. Okay, there's other things that you can do, but you can start measuring things like how quickly do we, do we respond to a client? But if they're giving you a nine or 10 in MPS, then you're obviously doing it. It kind of, it kind of doesn't matter. Um, so I think it's it's about making sure that you understand what's important for you as a firm. And, and for most firms, that's going to be client happiness and, and, and making sure that you're making enough money uh, for, for the, the effort that you're, that you're putting in. Um, so if you can do those things, you're, you're, you're living it. And if you're achieving the objectives that you set out in terms of the size that you want your firm to be, uh, then it, it's, all, it's all good. You're living oh and breathing God. a human firm. That was such a great, simple answer that like, you know, like, it, it, I think because we are numbers people, we look for the biggest KPI spreadsheet yeah. ever. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that just like being really clear on those things um, actually encourages you to want to measure and just yes. to see how it's going. Whereas it can be like the idea of having so many things to track and not really knowing where to start with it can be quite overwhelming. So yeah, yes, that's definitely. such a good such a good tip um will i'm really excited to read my copy of the human firm i know jay's had a little sneak preview how can people find out about the book can they order a copy now uh, what do they need to do yes uh so it is now available on amazon uh, as paperback uh kindle and uh, uh i think the audible should be available uh, now if not it's it's very soon uh so lots of different ways however you want to digest it um uh, it's available uh on amazon uh, so we really look forward to hearing what people think. I love I love feedback. So tell me what you think. Tell me the good bits. Tell me the bad bits, and uh, uh, we'll 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 take them on board. Uh, yeah. So uh, really look forward to hearing what people think of the book. Thanks, Will. And how can people connect with you? Uh, willfarnell.com uh, is is my my website. Uh, that has details of all the things that I do. Um, but LinkedIn certainly is is a great place to to start. I, produce lots of content on, on LinkedIn that hopefully people will find useful and informative. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. And, you know, we always bump into Will at all of the various accountancy events as well. So I'm sure you'll find Will at an event near you this year as well. Absolutely. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been really interesting to talk to you and learn more about how you've grown your business and what we can learn from you as well. So thanks for your time. Thanks everyone who's joined us today. We'll see you next week for another episode of the Bookkeepers Podcast. Take care. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Don't forget to join us every week for the Bookkeepers Podcast. For topical bookkeeping chat, why not join our free Facebook community, Six Figure Bookkeepers Club, or visit us at sixfigurebookkeeper.com.